Dan Queso is next on Kill Tony. Make some noise for Dan Queso. Here he comes. Very confident strut to the stage. I'm excited about this. He's beaming with confidence. I feel like he's going to have real stage control. Here he is. One more time for Dan Queso, everybody. All right. <clears throat> it's Caso, but that doesn't matter. Hello, everybody. It's a white privilege to be here tonight. <laughs> My name is Dan Queso. Um, I've been smoking a lot of dab cartridges lately. We got any dab cartridges? And um, after running out of a couple, I kind of realized these things are a lot like life. In the beginning, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is going to last forever. And then by the end of it, I'm just like, this is clearly so empty. Why am I still trying to get anything out of this? <laughs> but um, I'm not always depressed. Sometimes I'm actually really happy. Like, too happy. I actually suffer from manic depressive disorder. Yeah. Which, which if you don't know, that means sometimes I'm manic, and then the rest of the time, I'm all out of Adderall. Thanks. One minute, 10 seconds with Dan Casso. Casso. Absolutely, I got it. Dan Casso, welcome to the show. Your buddy had one of them? My buddy has one, yeah, and like came over one day. And then on my birthday, I met him downtown West Palm, and we're just sitting in the in his car. And like he whips out the fucking, he whips out his phone. He's got the Bluetooth attachment to it. He's doing the Bluetooth temperature. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing right now, man? Like, mm -hmm. this is there's no way we're just smoking weed. Like, this is some old, some whole other thing. Like, yeah, well, it's crazy the trajectory that dabbing has taken because mm -hmm. you probably saw it in its early days when you're literally using a crack pipe. <laughs> yeah, dude. I remember like because um because like there was like a break in me using drugs at all. Cause um I remember like dabs started picking up a little bit, but like at but I remember when I first really heard of them, they started picking up. Like I was just I was just doing dope and shit. And like I was just doing hard drugs. So like I was if weed was around, I'd smoke it. And like, if I had it, great, but it was never a priority the last couple of years of like being a real junkie. And then I just remember seeing a fucking glass dab rig for the first time. I'm like, holy shit, isn't that, this is like how the eighties ended. Like, this is like this, <laughs> does this mean I could finally overdose on it and kill myself? Like it looked insane. But, um, yeah, and then, and yeah, this little fucking lava lamp looking fucking thing. It's, uh, Dude. pretty crazy. Yeah, man. It's, yeah, it's connects to your fucking phone. Uh, cannabis technology. In, yeah, exactly. Cannabis technology in general is just taking off. But then I saw this motherfucker had a Bluetooth attachment to his dab rig. I was like, God damn. Yeah. Yeah. But, if you would have told Cheech and Chong that back in the day that you'd be able to, I mean, the cell phone enough, the cell phone would have been enough for them to say, dude, you're fucking smoking on some shit. I've never uh, consumed. But if you said, not only will we have these, devices that are very thin and can connect to satellites in a matter of seconds, but you're going to be able to control a, a, a bong. 
from that device. <laughs> it's wild. And yeah, they're so smooth. It's unbelievably smooth. Those things, the, the peaks. It's like, mm. it was just giving me globs. And like, it just felt like, felt like, ooh, that was like a dab. Coughing yeah. a little bit. But then afterwards, you're just like, your vision's fucked up. <laughs> I've had dabs where I've gone way too deep. And I'm like, damn, I'm like tripping balls. This is... <laughs> Well, Dan, um, we got right into it. I want to introduce you to our listeners. Um, We are live on the air. And by live on the air, I mean, I'm just recording this call um, because we're not (laughs) live. (laughs) So um, I'm joined by Dan Casso today. That's Um, good. How's it going, Dan? It's good, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's really cool. Yeah. um, Happy happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, too. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a real like with the with the kill tony thing and how that all happened like now starting to make connections like different parts of the country and even the world like ireland and australian shit it's like holy shit surreal yeah that's what you always want to happen but then when it's happening you're like oh fuck this is like kind of actually very slowly starting to happen like whoa yeah folks so you just uh i just played your bit from kill tony for the listeners uh right before we hopped into this call so folks this is dan casso he did a spot on kill tony how long have you been doing comedy, Dan? Um, I guess I'm in uh, like my fourth year. Um, it my first open mic I ever went to was uh, October 2017, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of like made it to maybe one or two before the year ended, and um, and then I'd say around like February 2004 uh, 2018 rather is when I really started taking it seriously and hitting the grind and the mics every day as much as I can and. But um, but yeah, my pre-COVID, my work schedule was insane. So like, I was a guy that was like always coming straight from work to a mic, and sometimes going back to work right after the mic. Like, so yeah. yeah. So have you always like uh, made friends and people around you laugh, or like when did you when did you decide you liked like wanted to try comedy? Um, yeah, I'd say for the most part, like looking back, um. I think most people, hopefully, that get into comedy, they tend to be the person that was the funniest guy in the room amongst whoever, you know, like they they always found a way to like diffuse situations with humor and use it as a defense mechanism. I mean, that's what it was for me. Like um, since I was a little kid, like I grew up in a like my elementary school was heavily black and like went to a daycare center, was heavily black. And like I always kind of felt like the corny white kid. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't that tough. Where'd you grow so, up? Like if, uh, Monmouth County, New Jersey. Okay. Um, Bayshore area. Like you could see Brooklyn from across the bay and shit. Wow. And um, yeah. And uh, and I just figured you like I was never the toughest kid. So like I was just like, fuck it. I'll just I'll seek power through just being funny. And like people mm-hmm. always respect the funny guy, you know. And um, so that's what I tried to be. And then. Um, so, yeah, I guess like I was always silly. And I was also like, um, I have three older sisters, but they're way older than me. Like the youngest one of the three is 10 years older than me. So like, even though I had three older sisters, I also kind of like experienced what it was like to be an only child because they moved out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was always just isolated and by myself in a basement. And I just remember like making voices, learning to make faces, doing impressions and stuff and just talking to myself constantly. And I think I've got most of my speech practice by myself, like just talking to myself as if someone's there. And so um and then yeah i mean um just performance in general i caught that bug early because 
when I was a little kid, I, um, one of my older sisters was in a high school play and they needed a child for a role. So like, she threw me in there. I was like, I think I had to be four or five years old and I just caught it. And I was like, damn, I got to dip that impulse after that was always there. Like, just, you remember what it was? It was, uh, the, the show Pippin, if you ever oh, heard cool. of it. Yeah. yeah. I played yeah. the little boy, um, his little friend, but, Is that um, uh, so you, you enjoyed it right off the bat. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I guess I like the theater, <laughs> you know, yeah. little, little ass kid. I was like, yeah, I guess I like theater. How old and, did you uh, say you were? Sorry. I don't mean to keep four or five. It's cool, bro. Four or five. Four or five. Wow. That's um, early on. Yeah. That's so cool. my sister, so my, well, I must've been like five or six because my sister was in high school. She's probably like 16, 17. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I just remember like, fuck, like just the attention and all eyes are on you and girls mm-hmm. love this shit. Cause there's a bunch of like high school girls. So I was like trying to Mac on, even though I was like six years old and I was like, damn, these chicks love me. Cause like yeah. I'm in the show and, and, um, and then just always enjoyed comedy and like stand up. Um, never really considered doing it. Never thought I could actually do it. Do and, you remember like the first comedian you ever saw i remember when i was a kid i uh, the first like comedians i ever saw was like the my grandpa and my dad were watching the blue collar comedy tour with like True. uh you know all them uh, yeah foxworthy was a beast yeah. um huge uh, fan of ron name? white ron white is very very good yeah he's yeah. legit he's he's the most legit out of all of them fucking love ron white my opinion but my Did first the first stand-up i saw or do you have any early memories of like maybe your fa- early favorites? Probably like Carlin. Yeah, I remember liking oh, Carlin yeah. before I was really into stand up, just like knowing who he was and what he did and that I should respect him. And like I got into him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first stand up I saw, though, where I was like, damn, this dude is a fucking he's whatever that art form is. He's doing it the best. And that was Louis for sure. Like when I saw Fuck Louis yeah, C.K. and started appreciating oh, yeah. his specials. Dude, I saw Louie right before the pandemic. Did you? Uh, it was it was on a Friday uh, about, it would have been a year ago, like two or three weeks ago. And literally while we were driving there, it was playing over the radio, like different concerts getting canceled and stuff. And I'm like, I swear to God, if I'm yeah. on my way to Tennessee to see Louie and it gets canceled and it didn't. And uh, it was, it was great. So shout out yeah, to Louie. Still never seen him live. Man, I would love to. It, I just have to say his because he released his special shortly after. Um, I think it was God. What was what was it called? I need to find the name of it. It's like I don't even remember. I'll find it really quick. But we I did was shoot just, up live at the Bacon Beacon Theater. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, um, what else? 2017. What? Sincerely, Louis C.K. was his most recent one. Um, so oh, that was the most recent one. Yeah. So okay, folks, I haven't seen that one yet. To it. Yeah, it's on a uh, louisck.com, eight bucks. Yeah. It's a fucking, he's always really good about giving his specials for cheap enough to, to where there's no reason to steal it. Um, But anyways, yeah. what I was blown away by his performance, like, so I watched his performance um, and I actually managed to sneak an Apple watch in. And I say sneak because he's one of those comedians that takes your devices. Now, I'm not one of those people that leaks material like you know because louis like has he's dealt with that problem and that's why he has those things yeah i'm i like it because i get so fucking high before the show i can't remember and i like to be able to listen back to it privately it's such a fucking cool thing to be able to do and 
I get why they take the devices and stuff because some people can't yeah. handle they can't handle that material like in a way that's like responsible. They have to fucking leak it and they ruin it for everybody. But anyways, so I have that recording of that um, performance and I was blown away when he released it. It was word for word the same. Like the way that he performs is like, I don't know. He makes it seem so natural, but uh, mm-hmm. it was like down to the word. Yeah. <laughs> like it was a script in his head. So what an unbelievable um, performer. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's the style. Like if I had to choose that, I respect the most is like, because you'll hear like, like alternative guys or like just people that have different styles of stand up often like criticize kind of like the traditional way of like getting it down to the word and like, mm-hmm. um, and like strictly writing jokes and like you write it, write them out exactly how you want them to be because it's like a very fine tuned trap. Yeah. I mean, but there's some people that can go on and, and are just so naturally funny that they can just like crush off the top of the dome, basically like just start talking to the crowd and then they'll just go off some rant that they could do at any time. Yeah. I think Ron white is one of those people. Ron white could read a book and I would fucking just love it. Right. <laughs> you know, it could read yeah. Dr. Seuss and I'd be all over it. So. Yeah. I think I just, I, I think I try to do both because like Louis figured, I mean, he just did it so long. Mm-hmm. that he had figured out the perfect way to like you know um up to just like the inflection in his voice on certain mm-hmm. words and how he would time his sentences and like all that but he just did it for so long but sometimes i just know like some of my worst sets have been where it sounds like i'm saying a script yeah so that's the thing you want to write them i think that's like what the true stand-up thing is though like so you write a joke completely exactly how it needs to be make it sounds conversational as if you're not prepared to say it. And that's right. the trick. So when you're able to do that, that's when you have your best sets. But hell yeah. So take me back to growing up in uh, New Jersey. We'll get back on comedy, you know, but I want to, I want to like kind of um, go through your life. Cause when you talked about when you alluded to some of the things that had happened to your life and uh, your post inter- post set interview in kill Tony, I was like, man killer set and what an interesting life this dude seems <laughs> to have lived um yeah as yeah thank you man i appreciate that um unfortunately it's not a super unique life if you come down here you'll realize there's so many people exactly like me like that um i mean unfortunately with the tragically with the opiate epidemic there's kids just like me from like the same socioeconomic background had a very strong family on paper happy family um like decent looks look like kids that are like headed towards like pursuing a great career or showing promise in school and all that stuff and hooked on smack because just suburban neighborhoods everywhere throughout the Northeast were fucking flooded with prescription painkillers and then heroin. And yeah. Uh, how, how so. early did it start for you? Um, how, like what, when did you start just trying drugs in general, like alcohol? Weed? I got drunk a few times, like I, as early as 12 and maybe mm-hmm. even at 13, but I, I started smoking weed habitually and then just going like down for anything at 14 at like, 14. Uh, yeah. Like February, 2006 was when I really started smoking weed every day. I, I remember that. What and made I was you... also just open to anything. God damn it. No, you're fine, man. You're fine. Your dog has thoughts about your past and wanted to share. So, and I appreciate yeah. it. You know, I appreciate everybody's feedback. So, <laughs> um, uh, so, um, can I ask you, cause I have a theory 
and obviously it's anecdotal, but can I ask you like, what made you down for anything? Was it just like, I'm trying to get fucked or did somebody pitch you on it? Like what made you try? I don't know, man. Um, I have theories as well, obviously about why whatever happened to me happened to me and where, or the choices, sure. Kind of choices I want to make. Um, I just remember like kind of always being attracted to bad shit. Yeah. I got to put him on the balcony. My bad. It's okay. You're okay. (laughs) I'll pause it. Anyways, uh, your dog got super passionate, had a lot of opinions and (laughs) had his own theory. Was it he? She? He, yeah, Atlas. He's got really strong opinions about his. Oh, that's right. We're not doing video. (laughs) I keep doing that. Yeah. um, Yeah. He was letting his his thoughts known because it's emotional for him too. He doesn't like to hear about his dad struggling and making bad decisions. But um, (laughs) yeah, uh, younger before I started like getting fucked up, I was just like always attracted to bad shit i think um i mean there's nature and nurture uh nurturing and natural reasons why that this happened to me i think uh well just in the large scale i think 90s kids were overstimulated and spoiled even if they weren't rich um because the economy was so fake and propped up on bullshit and like people that could have like kind of bullshit jobs could still support a family and really buy them anything they want and like give them everything they need and most of what they want. And that was certainly the case for me. And my parents didn't work bullshit jobs. Um, they worked like pretty respectable jobs, like, but a heating and air conditioning repairman and a nurse still like, it's not rich, mm-hmm. but kids back then lived as if they were rich. They, cause you could just say, mommy, I want that. And you get the newest mm-hmm. video game or toy and television like really stepped it up in the 90s with like programming and channels and then fucking internet comes around and we get chat rooms and like everything so i think in that sense one of the re- one of the fuels to the middle class suburban northeastern opiate epidemic and crisis is that um it's that it's the overconsumption it's the overstimulation it's getting everything you want all the fucking time. Um, parents also like worked more, so they weren't with their kids as much. Divorce went through the fucking roof in the nineties. Um, I mean, my parents stayed together. Uh, my parents were together until my mom died, but that was rare. And I think, uh, um, so like on more personal level, why these things happen is I kind of grew up in a shitty neighborhood too. Like not, I'm not saying I grew up in the hood or anything, cause mm-hmm. it's not a town anyone's ever heard of, but it's just like a small little, section of a greater township of like where I went to school with other kids and it was the shittiest part of that school school district for sure and like so like going through high school and middle school like some I knew kids who like I was friends with in school but their parents wouldn't take them to my house so they go he lives in Clifford Beach so um so yeah there was a lot of I grew up right across the street from these really like this like really rough broken home I became best friends with those kids and then most of the other kids in the neighborhood had like parents that were kind of fucked up or like the family was fucked up. And, mm-hmm. and I think I was just attracted to it and it was exciting to me. And like, it, it's like the core of it is white privilege. Of course, this is what we're talking about right now is that like, I found a life of deviation, exciting and something new and like an adventure when yeah. there's a lot of kids, there's kids like me too, that grow up poor and like are kind of born into that shit because they watch their parents get higher. So like that happens too. I never had that. I just wanted, I sought it out of excitement. And then by the time I get a little bit older, I mean, at 14, I was arrested for a felony burglary with like 
two, two adults and one minor. Um, and just took off in high school with taking any drug that crossed my path. And I just always found it really exciting. Like gotcha. just, it was a way to explore my own mind and, mm-hmm. uh, have to have a little bit of control over how I was feeling. Yeah. Social anxiety too. I'm sure never really like having much of an identity. Like at first it was like a racial crisis when I was a little kid. Like I wanted to mm-hmm. be black cause I felt corny and white. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was just like, okay. So like I got into music and I also got into drugs and the two, I just, I mean, there's nothing better than the two together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then you like going through high school in New Jersey, you like start to see it. Like kids are starting to get picked off. Like, Oh shit. That one's doing blues all the time. That one's doing blues all the time. That was like blues or pain pills, oxycodone, okay. 30, 30 milligram oxycodones. They're a very popular drug that got a lot of kid addic- kids addicted to opiates. And you're just seeing kids. Oh, this is happening. This is happening. Like they're kids like you smoke weed with and shit and you drink with maybe mm-hmm. you take some Xanax with sometime. But now like you're seeing, oh, shit, everyone's getting addicted to pain pills. What the fuck? And I was hanging. Uh, my core group of friends were into drugs, too, and crossed my path, tried it. Didn't like it. Tried it again. Didn't like it. Tried it. Okay. I like it now. And then boom, you're just. So you were 14, 15, you said when you started kind of liking it. I, yeah. I mean, I guess just drugs in general, Yeah. but the one that really took me out were the opiates. And I guess I got into those around like 18, 17. Mm-hmm. I remember start, it's starting to be a little bit worrisome before I graduated high school, but nothing like it got during like when I was trying to go to community college and shit, man. What do you mean worrisome in high school? Um, just, I remember like one day in particular, like where I took blues the night before on a school night, hanging out with friends and like woke up still completely fucked up and had to go to school and was just mm-hmm. nodding in and out of, in class, like a, like a dope fiend and shit. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh. But I mean, there was, there was worry from the start, man. I mean, I got nabbed for burglary when I was 14. Like the, the signs yeah. were always there that I didn't know how to do this shit. Like normal people can do sometimes so did somebody just talk you into uh, do you the burglary like w- did um, somebody talk to you into it or was like no uh, not at all man altogether I don't think, idea like, <laughs> i mean of course it's some kind of peer pressure but sure it's just uh my buddy who was the other kid that was doing it, he was also he had just turned 14 like <laughs> the week before and he was just into being a thief like he was he was one of the kids that like i really kind of led the way for me getting into like this bad shit, like skater yeah. kid, like just skater rat, just drug rat, <laughs> whatever the fuck I thought I was back then, man. And I just thought it was cool. And like, he told, like they were, we were honestly like hitting houses all summer, one summer, like the summer going into my freshman year, like I would help a little bit or something, but I'd never actually fully participate. And like, we'd all like, Oh, the spoils back at our one friend's house. And we're going through these bags of all these things we've just stolen from people that live in our very own neighborhood, man. It's horrible. Yeah. horrible and <laughs> it's crazy um, oh it's disgusting and at the end of the summer he just he was just telling me about this one he was gonna do i was like all right i want in on this one so like i just came and i just went i sat out front like a fucking idiot and just played lookout and they all went in the house got stuff and and uh yeah the cops showed up at my door later that night and i had gotten completely blacked out on like pills and booze like that we had gotten from the house fuck and but I do just remember enough that like my parents called me and like, yeah, Officer Frankie was by the house just a few few minutes ago saying you robbed a house. Why don't you come home? <laughs> I'm just like, OK, 
Like I I remember getting on a mountain bike and just like so fucked up. I was just falling. I must have fallen mm-hmm. like 11 times off my bike in the middle of the street and I'm all cut up and shit. And yeah, man. So like that right there was that was I mean, I started less than a year in to yeah. that kind of lifestyle. And like, that's the point I got to it at 14. Yeah. When did that was an, in, that was an indication I should have relaxed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I want to, uh, talk about college and stuff. Um, but when did you, um, when did your mom pass? Uh, 11, 12, 13, November 12th. Yeah. November, uh, 2013. Oh, okay. How old were you then? Uh, I was about to turn 22 in two days. Wow. So is, am I, is my timing? Well, I guess you're getting out of high school. So you've been 18. So we'll, we'll get to that part in your story. You were talking about college and how um, things were getting a little crazy there. Before I go any further, I neglected to plug. Um, you can follow Dan Casso at, at Dan Casso stuff on Instagram. The handle's in our podcast description, but I'm going to spell it out really quick. That's at D-A-N-C-A-S-O-S-T-U-F-F. Are you online um, anywhere else? It looks like you have a podcast. Yeah, Instagram's the main shit, and I have have my own podcast. Uh, It's just on YouTube right now. It's very visual. It's like a lot of post-production, crazy edits and shit, but um, that's called the Problematic Podcast, spelled like problem addict, like addicted to problems. Um, problematic podcast mm-hmm. that's on YouTube and I'll have that on multi-platform soon. We got, I used to do it with a, a comic friend of mine, uh, Stephanie Wood, but I'd, I've since started just doing it by myself and I just restarted the episode count. So we're on about sixth episode right now. I got the seventh recorded. Cool. I'll have that in the podcast description as well, folks. So cool, if man. you want to check you. out the problem addict podcast, um, the handle is going to be in the description and um yeah check check it out um i do have to say yeah um i can see uh the years of practicing facial expressions in some of those videos that you produce <laughs> so yeah, you got man. some funny faces man so Thank um you, <laughs> yeah so uh anyways we were talking we we're getting away from high school you get out of high school things are um getting a it little it wasn't all bad hand. immediately it wasn't all bad immediately you I got out of high school. I got out of high school and I really started like I really started to do blues a lot. These these particular pain pills, seeking them out and mm-hmm. seeking out opiates. And I tell you, the first six months to a year of an opiate addiction is great because it's just all fun. <laughs> like you just you feel like you're God and you still got the money to like go shopping and shit and yeah. hang and like do all that. And um and like I'm 19. I'm just like finally starting to grow into my body as a person. And like, I'm starting to finally look good and shit and starting to work out. And like my ego is just through the roof. I just felt amazing. And then you're on these pain pills that literally make you feel like God. Like if you're around someone that's on heroin or pain pills and you talk to them for a while, you will, you won't be able to stand them because just the, the way the amount of confidence they have for nothing. That's so, interesting because I, you know, I've never thought of uh, those drugs as being a, a social drug at all. I always think of it as your your high school experience where you're sitting at the desk nodding off. Um, yeah. It well, to, yeah, it, be, it becomes antisocial. But sure. Originally, that's what I loved about it because, like, 
I didn't really like the way booze made me feel all that much. Mm -hmm. And like you do ecstasy and you're up for like maybe a day or two and you can't eat. And like, cause your mouth is all fucked up from chewing and you feel completely crashed out cocaine, all these different, I tried these all, all these different kinds of drugs, but the thing with opiates is that they just, they offer like everything (laughs) they offer. Like you're able to chill on them or you could get a bunch of work done on them if you want. And you don't have to worry about sleeping that night because you'll sleep and you could eat on them if you want to. And like, so that's the problem. That's why, I mean, they work really, really well for someone that likes to get fucked up. And that's why so many people get just caught. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was good for a little bit. I was still able to do like my, my schoolwork and shit. I was doing fine with that. And I was getting heavy into like producing music and I was in, um, uh, a band um i was like doing vocals for a metal band for the first time and shit and i was like doing creative stuff i was talking to a bunch of girls and it was it was good for a little while and then it's just and then you need to keep you need to start doing more and you need to start doing more and you need to start doing more and then it just gets and then you're changing the methods of how you're doing it and then you know is it because your tolerance builds that you have to do more well, well yeah the pills become so expensive even on the street so mm-hmm unless you're completely loaded, you can't keep that habit up. So you get to, you go to heroin, which is cheaper, but also easily, uh, tainted. Yeah. And that's why I have, I I haven't even tallied up how many dead friends I have from just people I've met over the past, uh, I guess like seven or eight years of trying to get sober and doing that whole thing. And yep. So, um, I just noticed it was a problem. Like, cause I had a job, I was like, in a dish room with a bunch of my buddies at a nursing home, mm-hmm. like working in the kitchen, doing food service. And I could just tell in their interactions with me and the things they were saying and the reputation I was starting to develop that like, I was always fucked up. Uh, yeah. I never had, never had money. I was at like, you know, and just uh, disappearing at work to just go like sit, a, sit in my car and try to smoke, sneak a cigarette real quick. And you end up passing out for 45 minutes and you wake up to the sound of someone knocking on the door, be like, yo, we're all leaving. Good looks appreciate that thanks for completely fucking ducking on us like for the entire shift yeah yeah so that kind of stuff lost that job because of my drug use like just didn't show up one day don't even remember not showing up but and uh yeah and then eventually had to stop going to school because i couldn't handle it like just even community college it just took over everything man getting to Mm -hmm. the needle find a girlfriend that like my first girlfriend i really had was like into drugs and shit so we burned our lives down together for a little bit and then yeah and then just stole like pretty much all my mom's jewelry (laughs) and yeah so it was just like yeah you have to go to rehab this is a reality now like this is yeah so did you just think oh go ahead oh no it's cool go ahead man i don't want to completely dominate this conversation no no i i felt like you were about to go somewhere just, and that's um, what this is all about. I like uh, in, unfettered conversation. <laughs> I think um, my parents just had me too late. They should have stopped at my my sister, like the last girl. Because yeah. 10 years later, they had this kid and they were able to give me everything, but they didn't really guide me anymore. And they weren't like going through their own struggles in life anymore. So I had no idea what reality was. Like yeah. my sisters watched my parents like struggle with money or fight yeah. because they were going through life. And I was sheltered from all that. I was just, I went to the basement and I practiced. Well, and they'd been th- <laughs> like, they'd been through three kids. So like yeah. I've, you know, like the last one, it's just like, yeah, they're, they're tired. Like, I, 
They're old. Exactly. I, and I say that because I've got uh, younger siblings. And I've got a lot of family with, you know, like a lot of kids. And it's like the youngest kid always gets it like uh, a really hands off approach. And it's not like it's just the parents are just like at that point, like I beat out all the will out of my parents with everything that I went through. So by the time they got to my youngest brother, they're just like, you know what? You're so much better than Cole. Just do whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> type man. Of thing. So. It's a yeah. And the problem was like. My personality shifted, too. And I think it's I would really love to have the money to look into it further. And like I will one day, hopefully. But just like with head injuries, because like I was yeah. into like riding BMX bikes and shit and like skateboarding after that. And I had like a couple significant brainers, like even as a little kid where I went out and like woke up and like my friends are explaining to me what happened. And I couldn't remember like whatever happened in the past hour. Damn. So that happened a couple times bad. And I think like it just fucked with my wiring because as a little kid, I was really like reserved. And like, my dad was like always super proud of me. Like as being like kind of an old soul, like as a little kid, I could go sit in a room full of adults and find yeah. a way to talk to them where they didn't feel like they were hanging around a kid. Mm -hmm. And and so like, maybe it doesn't matter things play out the way they do and you can't do anything about it now. But I wonder like, damn, if, if I hadn't hit my head so many fucking times and just had a little bit more guidance, like where would my life be right now? Yeah. Cause I like, I was, it's like, I remember being a little kid and like, I'm going to go to law school. I probably would have just done that. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. But so now I'm doing this, this crazy ass shit. Pursuing <laughs> comedy. So when did you decide, did you decide you're going to rehab or did somebody else decide for you? Um, no, nah, my parents had basically had it and I was really sick of going through heroin withdrawal all the time and shit and be, being completely broke and, mm -hmm. you know, um, it was just too much. And like, I wasn't. I wasn't really ready to grasp the idea of like what it meant to be sober for the rest of my life. I just knew I was sick of being sick and just feeling like I had the flu and my body hurting and losing weight and like any, any girls I really liked not having anything to do with me because they could just tell who I was and, um, or just the people I wanted to be around in general, not just girls. Like just, it's like, fuck man. I didn't just realize I was always surrounded by losers just always. And I was like, fuck man, I wasn't meant to be this. Yeah. I was from the one good family on my block. Like, why did I do this? Why did I have to? So, yep. So they sent me out. I went to rehab twice in Jersey. Like went the first time January of 2013 or 14 rather. Right. No, 13. That was before my mom died. Um, so the beginning of 2013, I went in January, went a little while in a halfway house in Jersey. Um, then Parents went away for the weekend, went back to their house, shot dope all weekend in their house, went back to rehab again, came out, uh, went back to the same halfway house for like till the end of the year. Worked at Forever 21. Used to have to take like this ridiculous four hour commute on the bus, walk two miles to the bus, take the bus, come home from the bus. Like the commute was as long as my shift. <laughs> like, And then, yeah, by November, um, my mom just fucking died out of nowhere, like completely like out of nowhere just got she had kind of a shitty immune system and she never really felt great my whole life and like she's definitely like had health issues but never to the point where it was deadly 
and she just got like pneumonia her bronchitis and they went to, went to the hospital sent her home said um that she had like just like like i said on kiltonia walking case of bronchitis and she'd be fine what that meant is that just like you could sleep it off yeah and so she goes to go to sleep and she wakes up just like freaking out just extremely sick and she was a, a nurse so she knew a fair amount of like what could be happening to her mm-hmm. They take her back to the hospital they find that she has MRSA and just boom so this happened like within 18 hours <laughs> so she's just gone dude and like i i had, uh, went to a meeting that night with some guys i lived with and was coming home and like talked to my dad i was like yeah everything's fine like i know she went to the hospital she'll be okay she's like yeah she's gonna be okay i think she's got to rest now so then i went to sleep and then that's when she woke up and they took her back and so i woke up in the morning to like my roommate would be like hey your brother-in-law's here i'm like brother-in-law what the fuck is he doing mm-hmm. and like open the door and he's like hey um Hey man, I don't know how to say this, but you know how your mom went to the hospital yesterday? And I was like, yeah, she's going to be all right though. She said, dad sounded fine last night. And she's like, yeah, I, she didn't make it, man. And it was, <laughs> nothing, nothing has been the same ever since. Yeah. Just something broke. <laughs> Bro. Something I broke. Yeah. Just went up to my, went up to my room, threw the fucking dresser against the door and just like, just like, just lost it. <laughs> she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That was so crazy. And, uh, yeah, it was real heavy, man. And, um, and actually at the time I wasn't fully sober. Like I was like, my mom would sometimes pick me up. So like, I could see my friends again. Like, so I'd go back to my neighborhood because I was in a different part of Jersey living. Yeah. And I would go to like a meeting, cop dope on the way home from the meeting, get high either at my parents' house or bring some back to the halfway house, just beat the drug test. I was doing that off and on. And the last thing she ever actually said to me it was a text message where she was congratulating me on six months clean and then about a week later she died yeah it was wild it was fucked up <laughs> yeah that shit was fucked up man and um so then you know went the week of the the wake and the funeral and all that and having to set that up and just like that night just like i had a lot of drug dealers that were friends so like they knew me personally enough i was just like yeah man um my mom died and they're just giving me free dope. Yeah. It's just like, yo, hold that. And they just give me a bundle of dope. And I did that to a couple people and mm. just started going ape shit. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, while my, while the rest of my family's trying to deal with my mom suddenly dying and shit, I'm just going the fuck off being a real scumbag. And, um, at the end of that week, like after the funeral's all said and done, they took me to a hospital some woman in the hospital just happened to be like, I like passed out for a while. I like, just went to sleep for a while. And then my dad came back and he was like, all right, you're going to Florida, I guess. And like they sent me to rehab in Florida and then spent a uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's in treatment that year, right after my mom passed. And um, then when I got out the beginning of that next year, tried I was, I was figuring I was going to stay down there because I had heard of plenty of kids that went down to Florida. That was the, I mean, it's still a thing, but it was very hot at the time of like kids coming from the Northeast, going to South Florida for treatment and then just yeah. living there. So I figured that was what I was going to do, but I guess my dad was just so vulnerable, not thinking straight after the whole thing, he invited me to live back with him. And then those months I lived with my dad again, after initially being kicked out of the house, the worst extended period of drug use I ever had. It was, I was like, it was so bad at the end, man. I was really trying to kill myself. Um, 
I tried to give myself a suicide shot the day I was shipping out to treatment because I didn't even want to go to treatment again. I was like, man, fuck all this. This is, I think I've just broken myself. My whole life is broken. Does a suicide uh, shot mean, I know it's a stupid question, just, yeah. just a lethal dose? Yeah, just purposely taking like way more than you've ever done. Yeah. And never killed me and just came down, went to treatment, did the whole thing, went to a halfway house, went to a three-quarter house. The difference between the two is like halfway has staff and a, a three-quarter house is actually like self-sustained, okay. self-sustained by the people living in it. Um, and then, yeah, started to move up slightly throughout South Florida. I was down in like Broward County, where it's like, that's Fort Lauderdale. Went up to West Palm Beach eventually and just been here the past, shit, man, almost six years. Yeah. So um, was treatment... Um down in florida effective and what makes it great treatment is um that's the thing man what they don't tell you is treatment is fucking awesome (laughs) like uh, rehab can be really great for like a drug addict like um because once you get past the withdrawals and all that shit and you actually feel normal again you feel incredible you're surrounded by a ton of people that are just like you or they're like culturally they may be nothing like you but we all have like this thing in common we're all suffering from the same exact thing so you're having people relating to you that aren't fucked up in a way you haven't experienced maybe ever, especially in you, like particularly like definitely in years, but maybe ever. And you're going through groups. I mean, there's definitely things to hate about rehab because you're isolated and you don't have any technology and you can't see your friends. Like you don't have your own technology, like phones. Yeah. Like that. You can't get on the internet, but, um, and you miss your family and you're filled with guilt, or maybe you have real problems and like you have a family that you're now neglecting because you're in rehab. You have kids you're not taking care of because you're in rehab, but I was a kid going through it. Yeah. So I like, I had nothing to lose. I didn't feel like I really had a life to pause. So when you go from like that, so I mean, rehab for a kid, it's really not so bad. Mm-hmm. And you put on a bunch of weight, your hormones are going through the roof now because your body's working properly and you're getting all big and swollen and shit. And, Yep, your dick's working again. You can come again. <laughs> you can jerk off and feel something at the end of it. Um, That's got to be nice. It was very nice. And it's like, oh, hey, this thing works again. Yep. Hey, I like this. <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, it's just like you, after coming off opiates, you just touch your dick and you just come all over yourself because <laughs> <laughs> your sensitivity is just so completely exposed now. You're dulling yourself for so long. Sure. But um, yeah, treatment. It can be great. It just depends on um, if you do what's necessary afterwards, you know, and yeah. get with good people. That's the main thing, getting with good people. Trying yeah. to doing everything you can to not surround yourself by losers. And sometimes, and every time, just luck. I mean, I just lucked out. I know a lot of kids that didn't at all, like, as many times as I relapsed and had the chance to get my life together and chose not to over and over and over again. And then I know some people that had never been sober before they went to rehab, went to rehab, were sober for a long time, had one relapse. They're gone. Mm -hmm. Boom. They're gone. And, um, yeah. So it was, it was a good change. Good. Yeah. Well, that's that's just freaking reassuring to hear that treatment. I, I get what you're saying. Like in certain contexts, maybe it can it can almost be inhibitive. Like if you had kids or something like that. Like yes, you're in there and you know you're helping yourself, but then you start thinking about the people that are 
out there that still need you. And you, you, like you say, you were in a fortunate position where you almost could put your life on pause. And that's, that's super cool that like you were able to find um, some solace and treatment, you know, yeah. there's just, there's definitely just a different, I mean, you could view it as a disease or whatever addiction. There's definitely something that some people have this addictive tendency and some people just don't like, yeah, because I know people that did pain pills with me for years. And then one day just said, you know what? Fuck that shit. And just stopped. And like in my mind, like the addict's mind, I couldn't possibly imagine just up and stopping. Like mm -hmm. I, I could imagine it, but it would never happen. I would sure. always find a way or a, a reason to try to excuse doing it again. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, that was like six years ago, you said? Yeah. And yeah. then was that, that kind of, no, you said, uh, crap, I'm high. Did you say you did, started doing comedy four years ago, six years ago, or two years ago? Well, yeah, I guess it was seven years ago. I got out of treatment seven. about okay. seven years ago, almost in the summer. It'll be seven years. Um, and then, yeah, uh, comedy I started doing uh, to be four years this October. Gotcha. So, so yeah. when what was like the first mic and how did that all happen? It was in a city called Boca Raton. It was at a very like kind of legendary open mic down there at um, what used to be called Funky Buddha. Funky Buddha is a local brewing company that mm -hmm. like blew up pretty big and um, so they eventually ended up selling the place and it became mad robot, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, funky Buddha. That was my first one. I had a friend actually from recovery. That was a guy that used to do stand up, And, um, I had recently just like, I guess I was probably listening to podcasts again for a year and like started listening to Rogan, Duncan Trussell mm -hmm. and that kind of shit and the bone zone, all that stuff. And like wanted to, the idea was then planted in my head from podcasts that like stand up is something I could try for real. Yeah. So I had a buddy bring me to one, <clears throat> introduce me to Mike Cintron. Shout out to Mike Cintron, one of the godfathers of the South Florida comedy scene down here. And um just got on and like had this whole fucking stupid thing written and like just like talk about a script. It was like just fucking monologue. Yeah. And it was trash. Go. Trash. <laughs> I think I did okay for my first time. Uh -huh. At least that's what like people said. But and no, I mean it was dog shit. It was complete dog shit. There's no way any of it was good. <laughs> so uh you, what was the first experience like? You get up there, your mouth immediately get dry. Like what can you recap it kind of like? Um my main thing whenever I'm nervous is just I have like naturally shaky hands. Ah, yeah. And and then like if I smoke weed or and smoke weed and get on stage, it can get like bad. So like I was sure. worried just about my hand shaking and shit, but mm -hmm. it felt fun. Cause I don't know, man, like it's uh like it, I have like a bit about it now, but like people think that like doing comedy stand up is brave. Like some people do. Some people know well enough to know that it's not, but I think it's just like it's just a personality type of a person that just needs that attention. So like, yeah. yeah, it's brave, but like, they're also just like a junkie trying to get their attention fixed. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it you, does... get you really get nervous when you're eating a, eating a dick though. <laughs> yeah, it does. See I see what you're saying though. I mean, I tend to, <clears throat> I think it does take a, a certain amount of courage and uh, focus is another thing that I think like, not only do you have to like, 
commit to it, but you have to focus. Like you probably had to focus on not shaking your hands. And I think about other things like you got to focus on like, like looking comfortable on stage. Like you can't just fucking be planted in one spot. That's a mistake. You know, a lot of people don't even realize they're making until they watch the video back, you know? Yep. Remembering what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this shit takes so much time. That's why I'm still not good at it. (laughs) It takes forever, man. So much stuff you got to work on. Like, but how did, yeah. How did you like, um, what's, if I may ask, what's your like process? Like, are you just like you driving down the road and you think of something funny? So you take a voice memo or you smoke and you ride at night. Like, do you have a process or is it just kind of come and go and you just like, what is it like? Um, I don't know. I typically can't like just sit down and deliberately write. Sure. I got to like, kind of just catch that. So like, uh-huh. if I, um, I pull a lot of like bits out of conversations. Yeah. I try to take, like, try to make sure it's something I said, obviously, or like if someone <laughs> said something and then it triggers a thought, I'm like, okay. And I'll yeah. write that down quick or something. Um, that tends to be the best for like, I get a lot of it just out of conversations, like I'm, conversations with people who I'm comfortable talking to. So like I could actually really get my thoughts out there and I'm comfortable enough to be funny around them and shit, but, um, or just like living new life experiences. That's the best thing for writing comedy is like, you got to the comics that just do comedy and like their only friends are comics and the only people they associate with comedy, how they come out with new material. Like, I don't fucking know because like I need (laughs) to do other things. Right. You got to live a little bit. Yeah. You got to have like some kind of life to report on and like yeah. have a perspective on, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then usually like sometimes I'll write it out word for word or I'll just go up with the premise and try to mm-hmm. make something happen with it. Like I have an idea of the points I want to hit with it and what a punchline could be. Um, I tend to. Um, sometimes like just straight up smoking and like trying to write when you're high is hard. Uh-huh. You like, it's like impossible to force when you're high. Right. Um, because like the minute you're forcing it, you're already taking your brain away from the funny place because you're, you're going to the part of your brain that plans now. And like, what the right. real fuck likes plans, like <laughs> planning and like calculating, fuck that shit. You just, so um, I tend to edit better though when I'm high. So like, if I listen to like a set, I could hear like the, the mistakes are much more pronounced to me and like what yeah. I'm doing wrong becomes so much more glaring in that moment. So like you take a note on what you should do differently when telling the joke or you fix a sentence or, Oh, you should have said that there. You could have said that there. That kind of shit. Yeah. Um, do you record yourself? Like when you, is that what you mean? Like you, yeah, yeah, I tend to. And, yeah. Um, not always video. I really only do video if like I'm doing a, a spot like where I know the crowd's gonna be awesome, or mm-hmm. if I'm or if I'm getting a chance to feature or something like that. Or, um, but I always do like nine times out of ten, I do a voice note. Sometimes I'll just go up just to see what it feels like when I'm not recording. Like if I'm took a pulse, but yeah. yeah, most of the time that's the biggest tool for me. Some people don't like recording and like hearing the jokes doesn't help them. I think people just learn differently. Like, cause like I came up doing music anyway. So like, I am like very auditory learner. That's why I've really gotten a lot out of podcasts and shit because I'm better off like 
visually or even feeling wise, I don't learn quite as strongly as if I'm just hearing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your podcast about? I, th- I mean, you mentioned it a little bit ago, but can you give me like a rundown? Like, how would you pitch it? Um, I mean, when we first started it, it was a little bit more deliberately like spicy and just trying to say fucked up shit. Cause like we're playing with the name problematic and just trying to do like, you know, kind of like the ironic racist and, you know, sexist, misogynist, whatever jokes that at the time felt a lot more in danger, but <laughs> like now, now cancel culture is like kind of like becoming fake to a certain degree. So, yeah. Um, I don't deliberately just try to say fucked up shit, but, I just like rant or it's like sometimes some weeks I'll do it completely by myself where like, I'll try to have some topics in mind or rant about um, thing. And, um, but then other weeks I'll have guests on either other comics or just people I find interesting uh, musicians. Um, and it's a lot of like, but like I said, it's a lot of post-production, the format I kind of have it. And it's like very like Tim and Eric esque. Yeah. Like the, quick cuts and sound drops and shit. And like, we always okay. do like an improvised song. I'll always like produce um, an original instrumental. And, <laughs> That's like, awesome. Drop that, drop that at a random spot in the episode. And like the rules is that just have to do it yeah. <laughs> with me. So I just want to make it fun and um, make a video podcast. That's like worth watching. Yeah. Cause like, I understand why people that already have a built-in audience and that are famous um, why they can just record a single shot of them just sitting next to someone at a table talking and people want to watch that because people want to see them. But I think for someone that's not known, very unknown, like myself, um, I want to, if people come across my podcast, I want it to stand out to them. Yeah. And I want them to see like, Oh shit, that's different. He's actually like kind of making a whole fucking show. Uh-huh. Out of this thing. And um, so that was the idea with it. And I just love editing and, um, producing music and like I want to incorporate music into comedy more because that's something I've really been doing a long ass time probably yeah almost 20 years probably and like um so do you like to sing or like everything because you yeah, mentioned I, you did vocals um yeah I don't play nearly as many instruments as I'd like to play um yeah uh, but um yeah I have uh I've been playing guitar since I was 11 play drums bass produce make beats um for a long time I was just always trying to figure out every genre like i was just trying to like how do i make this yeah. what's so did that for a long time so i'm just trying to incorporate those kind of things into what i'm doing because even though it's a bitch to do sh- all this shit by yourself and like i totally understand why like bigger podcasts have producers because there's like it seems like such a simple product but even one where it's just two people talking there's so much that has so much work that has to go into getting it done bro tell me about it the people who listen yeah. to this podcast Preach- fucking bitch all the time because i don't have my my levels right but i'm, yeah, I'm working on it people the choir yeah i'm it's working a, it's on a pain it. in the ass man <laughs> i'm someone that's been doing audio for years and like i always make stupid mistakes like i do this yeah. shit professionally like my day job is um before covid hit i did sound and lighting and shit like that for really yeah at a retirement home uh well not a retirement home an upscale retirement community which are very cool. popular in south florida but yeah um, was there like a tv show or something for the local place or what no that would have been hilarious but no they just like the, <laughs> just the the i work at the clubhouse where like they come for all their club events and ah yeah uh the concerts and shit so yeah i learned how to do that the past six years working there nice yeah 
Well, let's let's take a hit of cannabis. I got a few more questions uh, for you. You good on time and stuff? Yeah, we're good, man. Cool. All right. Hey, cheers, folks. Load up your bowls. Roll up your joints. Um, let's enjoy <laughs> some cannabis. And uh, that's actually what my – well, I want to ask you about music, and then I want to start talking cannabis with you. I want to talk about how maybe it's come back into your life, helped you, whatever. Um, but uh, my puff goes heating up. I'll, I'll pitch the question for you while you're exhaling. Um, <laughs> and sorry if you're coughing. Um, that's cool. But, but give you time to think then. Um, what, what kind of music do you like to listen to, man? Um, is all across the board since you said you figured out across all the music, but any preference? Yeah, I definitely like making a lot of genres. I don't particularly like listening to just because it's fascinating to make them like, but, um, like EDM and shit. Like I used oh, to nice. like EDM when I was into drugs and stuff, but I can't listen to it now. Um, <laughs> it sounds like dial up, but it's very fun to make. Yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, my primary music choices like i still love metal very much like death metal and shit and hardcore and but i like but like most of the time i if i'm listening to music at all it's like probably just like indie shit and like folk stuff and or like funky shit rap listen to like a lot of trail hip-hop and shit and like three six mafia and yeah oh yeah um and uh but to be honest, I don't listen to a ton of music. You listen That's to a lot of podcasts. I'm listening to podcasts, yeah. Let's let's give a run, get a rundown and get some of the things on your favorite podcast. Um, well, I loved Rogan at first. I'm not crazy about who he's become yeah. and what his show has kind of become in the past few <laughs> years. I think he's kind of fallen off and gotten a little bit corny. He's still the fucking man. What he did was incredible, and I'd love to be on a show one day but sure <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yeah um so i liked that for a long time i liked uh tim dylan's podcast tim dylan's uh the tim dylan show oh, yeah. it used to be tim dylan's going to hell uh come town that's one of my all-time favorite <laughs> uh podcasts come town is by these three dudes uh nick mullen stavros halkius and adam friedland and they're uh new york comics okay nick mullen is the most kind of well-known of the three but never like truly blew up. He like started doing stand up when he was like 16 and then like mm. was killing it in Austin for a long time and then moved to New York and was killing it and then like getting writing work. And then he kind of just fell off for mental health problems <laughs> and he's, and he since started a podcast and it's become like huge. So it's just the three yeah. of them just being boys and like a lot of ironic racism and shit. And just, it's like, it's naughty white boy humor. Uh-huh. Like it's all that kind of yeah. shit. Like, um, so I like that. That's very funny. But then like on for like podcasts where I get something just kind of out of it real other than just laughter is um, I like a uh, Duncan Trussell family hour a lot. One of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you made it weird. Pete Holmes's podcast. Um, I like the hardcore history podcast. Sometimes Dan Carlin. Yeah. What do you get? Well, I get what you would get out of hardcore history, but what do you get out of those other ones you just mentioned? Like uh, Duncan Trussell, you uh, Duncan. Um, I need to listen Duncan's to fascinating, podcast. man. He's he's the shit. He's like just uh, huge into like psychedelic drugs and spirituality, and he's had a lot of great guests on to speak about different like spiritual perspectives and Buddhism, Veda, like Vedism, the Vedas, um, magic, Satanism, all that kind of shit. And there's always I've had like just some of the most tripped out conversations, like mind blowing conversations I've heard. 
Interesting. Um, so like, yeah. Do you like psychedelics? Yeah, yeah I do. Yep. Yeah. What kind do you like? Um, I have, have way oh. more experience with um, LSD than I do shrooms. I have yeah. I enjoyed shrooms the few times I took it. It just never crossed that pa- my path that much. I guess I, and I don't really. That's the goddamn thing about shrooms. You can never fucking find them. People, where's the shrooms? Right, it's tough. It can be tough sometimes. <laughs> um, it's fucking horrible. They're probably way easier so anyway. to get down in Florida than Jersey, but, um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, had a have a pretty significant history with LSD. Um, yeah yeah i liked it a lot i think i really wish i didn't take started taking it so young um i took my first mm-hmm. hit when i was 15 i was too young you're not ready for that shit um ex- not ex- ready to see the world well, speak yeah speaking of duncan trussell like he had he said something once where he was like because he took it too young too and he's like you know taking lsd when you're too young for it is like being given the keys to the library of congress and not knowing yeah. how to read like you don't <laughs> and it's true yeah i wasn't so i think but now I think it, it's wonderful every once in a while or in very small doses. Sometimes I'll mm-hmm. take like microdoses and that stuff. And I really enjoy it a lot. Yeah. So, uh, cannabis, you got your dab yeah. pen. Yeah, I've seen you taking dabs on your Instagram. You like the yeah, dabs? I, <laughs> you got I haven't had a rig in a long time. Um, but I, um, yeah. yeah, after my last rig broke, I like, did the pens for a little while. And then when like the bullshit pens were coming around, I stopped on that for a while and I went back uh-huh. to just flower for a long time. And then now I'm like doing pens again. Cause I've found good ones. So I like them. They're just yeah. so convenient, but um, I probably like edibles the best. I think the way ed- edibles yeah. interact with, with your mind and like your mood. I like the best. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. The afterglow. Yeah. Fucking love yeah. edibles, bro. I would, I would do dirty things for edibles. Um, I I am actually going to be make, making a trip to Colorado pretty soon. We like to go to Colorado just to uh, we get like a shit ton of concentrate and make edibles with it. And it's just the best fucking thing. You have like I, I make like a brownie be like two hundred milligrams, so you only need to take half of it. It's just or if you want to have a really good night and slobber, you take the whole thing. Yeah, making edibles know, with concentrates the way to go all day. Why like oh. the the extra steps and bullshit you need to go through to use flowers? Why, just get concentrate. Yeah, I can prime that shit, melt that shit. Yeah, mix that shit, dude. I fucking love <laughs> how easy it is. I don't, and you can barely taste it. I personally, you can barely taste it, but I make sure you can. I put so much sure. concentrate in it, you you can taste it. Um, but yeah, no, if you do it like you say, that's great. What's great about it is that, you know, you could put a. Uh, a gram of concentrate in a pat a pan of yeah, brownies, like brownies. you really yeah and you really won't um taste it and they'll be like yeah really strong it's a bang for your buck yeah. situation super easy to infuse um i personally just heat my cocoa butter uh, i use co- i think cocoa butter or cocoa oil i cocoa can't oil, right now. um yeah cocoa oil because it's super fatty and so you just I get a candy thermometer, heat it up to uh, what is it, 250 degrees, the decarb uh, temperature, between 225 and 250, I think is what it is, if I'm not mistaken. Google it, folks. Don't just listen to me. Um, but the point is, you get it to temperature with a candy thermometer. Drop your concentrate in there. Give it like eh, 15 minutes or so. People say to like wait until the bubbles stop uh, 
generating. That's, I guess, a good rule of thumb. Make sure it's all mm-hmm. mixed up. And then just fucking throw that oil into any recipe yep. and you get some smacking edibles. Shit. It's yeah. good shit. Yep. I would get like, yeah, I would throw a gram and usually get like 12 cookies. Hell yeah. Strong yeah, ones too. Very, very nice. Yeah. I remember one time though, um, I got dental surgery and I had a whole gram of butter made. <laughs> and um, are you up on the lecithin? You put lecithin in it to make it hit quicker? Hell course, yeah, bro. Yeah, of course. Hell yeah. Thank you for shouting <laughs> yeah. that out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I just got it in my mind. I was like, you know, this dental surgery sucks. Why don't I, why don't I take, why don't I take the whole gram of butter that I just made in this serving cup? Dude, that was, you're talking to someone that has shot crack. That was the most yeah. fucked up on drugs. I think I've ever been, yo. Like I was standing, Bro. I was like laying in my bed with my girlfriend and all of a sudden, like I felt myself, I couldn't tell where my body stopped and the mattress started. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, I'm fucked. And like, I was like, babe, I think I have to take a shower. And like, I went into the bathroom, ran the shower, and I'm just standing there. And dog, I'm looking down at my legs, and my muscles are twitching in my legs so hard that I thought they were going to rip off my bones. I was like, oh, is this how I die? Like, wh- right. Yeah. That's the thought that always the- comes up on a lot of edibles. I'm going to die. That's, and usually I don't freak out too bad, but that was way too much. I don't know what I was thinking. That was way too much. Oof. Yeah, I got to look up here. Uh, processed by your liver. It's a Joe Rogan bit. He talks about. Oh, yeah. Oh, how it there, affects no. you differently. Yeah. 11. Yeah. Hydroxy. What is it? Metabolite. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like five times 11 hydroxy THC. And it is five times more potent than thc so like your um that's why edibles rock you yep your liver uh processes it um and the byproduct is a potent meta you're left with a potent metabolic byproduct which is 11 hydroxy thc so pretty cool stuff folks that's why we always tell you with edibles go low and slow you can always take more but you can't take less yep (laughs) because it'll make a child out of anyone it can it can scare the shit out of anyone yeah and it can actually ruin people like not ruin their lives but it can break you (laughs) like oh yeah yeah but have been broken from yeah you should always before you get into any drug always research the possible psychological implications it could have and like be aware of any like underlying mental illness yeah uh, you you could have in your family because yeah if you're a borderline schizophrenic I mean, Joe Rogan's talked about this till the cows come home, but it could set you off. I've seen it happen to people. Yeah, it's uh, it's really real. I mean, uh, other than I that, it's harmless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. I don't know about you, but it's like sometimes I'm fucking high as hell. I'm like maybe running a little bit, a little bit late on time. And just the way that weed works, it's like sometimes it's just not helpful. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. So I just remember like the most recent case. I'm like looking for my keys. Can't find my fucking keys. And for some reason, the thing that's going in my head is uh, the remix to the electric slide. Everybody <laughs> clap your hands. <laughs> cha-cha slide. As I'm, yeah, as I'm running. Yeah, cha-cha slide. As I'm <laughs> running through the house looking for my yeah. fucking keys. And <laughs> it's like, stop, stop. I can't, I can't think, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. You sometimes you can just get in your own head. So. Oh yeah, Oops. man. Thought the thought hornets. 
So <laughs> That's it's right. It's like your it's like your thoughts are hitting the inside of your skull, like mm-hmm. it's trying to get out. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, it really opens up the valves, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, have you found that cannabis, like when did you, you said for a while you were just like, I'm not using, uh, I'm not using yeah, I was, anything. I was completely sober. Like I was like going to meetings where I have a 12 step fellowship and all that shit. So yeah, I didn't do anything for a while. Um, and even when I would relapse, I didn't like smoke weed. Yeah. Um, so I went at least like probably two years off of it, two and a half years off of it. And then started back up with it again when I was like 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it was great. Um, feel like it, it, it helps a lot just with like perspective and like not letting my ego get too yeah. crazy. It's a good way to like reflect on your day and like see where you may have been wrong and where your triumphs triumphs were and what you did right that day. Um, and for creativity, it can be a fantastic tool. Just like, just makes you a little bit more sensitive to like your, not just your thoughts and like your emotions, but just like everything, like the way things feel. It's like, you really, you feel like you're feeling it in a way you hadn't Yeah. in like baseline reality. Yeah. I think the most, the most, the thing that it's benefited me the most is like you said, the power of reflection that it affords you. Um, like I come home sometimes and I'm like, why the fuck did I say that? Like, why yeah. couldn't I have just been like, just been a nice person, like, you know, just casual about it or whatever else. Like, why did I have to behave that way? Or um, yeah. maybe I could have been more helpful in this way or something like that. And I feel like, like that's such a healthy thought to have come up a good perspective check. And of course you hope you act on it. And I definitely try to, and that's, what's important. Right. Um, but the fact that that comes up at all, because I'll, I'll be honest, like I've, um, like, you know, dr- drinking all that comes up is like, I'm right. Of course I'm right. Like I fucking right. rock type of things yeah. like that. You know what I mean? And this yeah, is weed, like, weed typically doesn't make you belligerent. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. That's what, that was the first thing I noticed about it. Like, that's what the high was to me. I remember my first time being stoned for real, like in February, that February, 2006, I remember just like being with my friends and like, it just kind of puts you in like what people in like spiritual circles would refer to as like the observer. So like you realize that like you're living this life and you're this person, but like weed kind of like just forces your eyes on the fact that like, you're also observing your life as you're living it. Dude. Yeah. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's what I've realized it did. Like, I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm a person. I'm like, I'm doing this person thing. Like I'm Dan, I'm this guy named Dan. The last name's Casso and he lives in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And he has two parents and three sisters. And he thinks he likes, he likes punk music and skateboarding. And and like, you're just like, Oh, like this is all kind of like, I could have been anyone. (laughs) Exactly. Just like, so yeah, it like, it it just introduces you to the meta in a way Mm -hmm. that like people, I think a lot of people that never, use it or just never gain that perspective just never do like a lot of people don't think about the world in ways stoners tend to you know and they could never imagine i feel like you know some of it you can't even imagine it if you don't know the insights that you gain right because like and then you try to tell people like i'll just be give a good example 
my mother, um, you know, I'm going to try to tell her like maybe how insightful I am or how maybe I realized I should have been more caring in a situation. And somehow or another, it gets spun, spun into like, like to them, what they hear is just like hippy dippy bullshit. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It's not like, how can, how do you not see that? It's, this is like a healthy thing. Like I'm admitting that I'm faulted. Yeah. I'm trying to do better, you know? And it's like, like I say, when I drink, that's the last, those are the last thoughts that come up, you yeah. know? So yeah. Cannabis could be a great spiritual tool, man. Um, I think so at least. Yeah. Um, but I will say about it though. I my relationship with cannabis remains its best when I practice discipline towards it. And like yeah. I set rules for myself and like, honestly, the best I ever enjoyed weed was when I was going for a while, smoking it every other day. And then like yeah. you smoke it every other day and you put a day between you're like, Holy shit. You like just see the beauty in it a little bit more. Sure. Like, but, but whatever works for me doesn't necessarily work for anyone else. I just think sometimes when people tend to have a bad experience where they're smoking weed all the time, I think if they just cut it down a little bit, yeah. it can make a world of difference. Like, do you like, great- do you Go like ahead. Reddit? I don't. I'm totally a dude that should be on Reddit. Like my girlfriend. I was going to say, well, for people that are listening and do like Reddit, there's a community called PTLs. I think it's an, it's like a, for another word from another language for leaves or something like that, because there's a, there's a community called leaves on Reddit. Not a big fan of leaves. I like PTLs. It's P E T I O L E S. And they practice and preach exactly what you're talking about, which is like, setting limits it's all about responsible use of cannabis it's yeah it's admitting yeah yeah and then how great um responsible use is Mm -hmm. right now like i say it contrasts with leaves because leaves are former stoners that just have it in their head that like weed is the devil's lettuce like they are totally converted abstinent and i mean to each their own i just i don't think abstinence ever really works i think if we're gonna um, talk about drugs and everything like we're, we're talking about responsible use obviously abstinence you know you have to abstain from substances that you've had experience with right you know or whatever yeah. but like to but cannabis unlike, go ahead but, well cannabis is unlike most drugs in the sense where it can be yeah you can show that restraint towards it like because there's so many drugs where like after a while, all bets are off. Like you've already gone past the point of no return. Your body needs it. You feel mm-hmm. sick when you don't take Become it. Become dependent. Yeah. yeah. Physically. Um, but weed fucking rewards you for showing a little bit of restraint towards it. And like, you know, and it's, it's beautiful that way. Yeah. I think Carlin talked about it. He's like, maybe it was Carlin. Um, he said the beautiful thing uh, that I've learned about drugs is that if I, only do them rarely they're so kick-ass mm-hmm. yeah I think louis ck had a, a bit about yeah, that has, as well yeah he has pretty much the same exact bit where he's uh it's like i never do drugs yeah i never do drugs yeah so when i do i really enjoy them <laughs> like yeah. yeah i like his little uh it's probably hard for the listeners but i like when he's talking about being offered drugs and he kind of like acts shy he's like me like you know like that whole thing like sure i'll try it yeah yeah he's like because if you do drugs all the time it just becomes a thing i have to fucking do 
Yeah. And that's, that is the core of it. That is exactly right. Yeah. Yep. yeah absolutely. It's a thing. And that was the turn. Go for it. That was the turnaround point with me and opiates and shit where I was like, Oh, this is something I have to do now. That sucks. And like, that was the point where you're like, Oh, okay. I'm fucked. Yeah. That's but well, thank, thank you for like getting into this, into that topic and you know not shying away from it because i think that i hope that the conversation is beneficial to our listeners and maybe they can learn a thing or two about responsible drug usage and i always or think anyone, that that's, sh- anyone that's struggling yeah sorry bud i didn't mean to interrupt you Just no 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 struggling. yeah Ex- absolutely for uh, yeah i just hope that's the hope here is that we can learn from each other and um so yeah, when I saw your story, man, I was like, I feel like not only I can learn a lot, but if I record this conversation, hopefully other people can learn a lot. And um, I also want to introduce people to your comedy because I think now more than ever, people need a laugh and you're fucking funny, dude. And um, lot, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on you because I, I have a good feeling about you. You keep just grinding away, you know, and I'm excited that we're returning to a place of normalcy so that you can start doing more spots again and, you know, hopefully we'll get back to to normal because i'm sure comedy is a good outlook outlet for you right it's the shit dude it's um it definitely provides something that i never found in all my years of doing music yeah Yeah. it's yeah it's good getting back to when you were five man and getting on stage it's great for a broken motherfucker like me i'm hoping it could use it to fix my life (laughs) so yeah yeah, man it's the shit thanks a lot for having me on man you should come on the problematic sometime I would be absolutely down for it. And in fact, you know, like when things start to come back to normal, Illinois is closed as fuck, but I've got a lot of connections in Illinois. So if you're ever touring, holler at me and I can get you, like, I know that people that run, you you probably wouldn't know the town, it's Champaign-Urbana comedy. It's basically like South of Chicago and they know a bunch of people in Chicago. So like, you know, you could get a little road trip out of Illinois. I've never been to Illinois, man. I've always wanted to get there. So. Yeah, dude, the sweet state of Illinois come up. We got legal weed. You just fucking, yeah, it's it's legit. It's legit. Yep. And and you come up, I got homegrown uh, plants. We'll give you some free samples of. It's, it's <laughs> fucking awesome. Um, okay. So what what was the last thing I wanted to leave you with? God damn it. I fucking took one too many dabs. Um, oh, I'm going to be in Miami um, at the end of this month. So I don't know where you live, but I'll holler at you when I'm around. Yeah. If you want to no, smoke, cl- smoke some weed. No, let's link up for sure, man. Yeah, I go to Miami all the time. And uh, I'm about an hour and some change north of that. But getting Sweet. around Florida is easy as fuck. I'll hit you up and you'll be able to try some of those homegrown samples even uh, sooner than you thought. So. That'd be dope. Yeah, I look forward to it, man. Thanks a lot for having me on, bro absolutely thank you for coming on i appreciate it so enjoy the rest of your monday my friend all right buddy i'll talk to you soon later take care